Stephen Dubner, welcome back to another episode of Question of the Day. Is that you, James? It is. Have you? How have you been feeling? I know you were deathly ill for a while. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nobody should worry about you. I haven't been sick in a few years. You're a very healthy guy. You're you're in good shape. I don't, I'm not in such good shape, but I love not being sick. Being sick, it's funny. You know, whenever you're sick, it's hard for me at least. It's hard to remember what it feels like to be healthy. And no, I agree. Like honestly, when I feel sick, I feel like killing myself. Yeah, and I think um, you know I've never. Um, had any bad uh, illness, you know, physical illness or mental illness for which I'm very grateful. But when I get even a little bit sick, like just a, a bad cold or something, and I literally can't recall what it feels like to be well or normal, I think what it must be like to have a, an illness, physical or mental, where you really um, can't get back to that baseline and how how hard that must be. So um, it's funny. I think health is one of those things that if you're healthy – you take it so, so, so for granted. So it's a yet another thing to be grateful for when you got it. I mean, I know this is not the question we're, we're going to ask today. This Probably is just, won't uh, ask one. We won't answer it anyway. Th- this is just off the top of my head. But uh, what do you think is the most important key ingredient for health? If you have to name one, because I can think of two. I would say, but uh, if you have to think I of mean, one. in the macro sense, I'd say, you know, genetic makeup by a long shot. All right. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, if you if you don't have, let's just assume... You don't. Most people don't have. You mean the weird you mean mutations. the input? You mean a, an actual yeah. controllable input? Yeah. Then I, uh, you know, here here's the thing. I'm dying to know the answer to this question, but I don't think we. I don't think our science is good enough to answer. I'm it yet, qualified but it's either, to answer this. I'm a yeah. doctor on Twitter. <laughs> I think it's either sleep or diet, but I don't think we really know the answer yet. But I think that um, sleep and diet are both. Look. If you think about how many things that you can do in a in a given day or year to actually control your health outcomes, there aren't that many. You can well, live food is definitely well. That's what I'm saying. But there aren't that many. You can you know maybe in terms of your lifestyle, your over you know where you what kind of work you do or what kind of life you lead generally, maybe where you live, you know, or a healthy place with good air, blah blah. But there are a couple things you do all the time, like at least three times a day, which is eating that you have 100% control over, and um, sleep, which is something that we have to do, but there's a great variance in how well and how much people do it. And yet, interestingly, you know, people get so obsessed with like exercise, like what's the best exercise? Should it be 20 minutes of kettlebells or should it be 50 minutes fast Stairmaster? And it's like, you know, that's all fine to worry about and it's fun to worry about and it's probably fruitful to worry about a little bit, but you can ameliorate so much distress um, by by eating well and sleeping well. So also, I'm not sure there's any results on exercise, like exercise in a gym, helping at all. Uh, I, I would disagree with you. Really? But, yeah. But um, as opposed to I like, mean, look say, at this. Well, but look that, at the size of that gun. That's, that's like a howitzer. So you've got a muscle. I don't, I don't really know what a howitzer uh, is, your and my muscles there. aren't very big. But but, uh, but is that is there a correlation to that between that and living long? Uh, I am told by people who know an awful lot more about it than than I that there are a number of dimensions, some obvious and some less obvious, for which exercise is hugely beneficial for overall um, health. Damn, I wish you weren't going to say that. Sorry, that's true. Uh, And one of the most interesting examples I ever got from a doc who I really respect, who knows a lot about this, said that one of the best reasons to do weight training, not extreme, but just some weight training or, you know, something where your muscles are really, really being put to work is that you create, I guess, uh, additional blood vessels, capillaries, whatever. You, you're you actually creating constantly new routes for the blood to flow. 
Uh, now, I may be stating it wrong, but that's the general concept. And the idea is that when then or if then your body gets in a really stressful scenario where there might be a blockage, we might have something very drastic like a heart attack, that it's literally having these kind of backup highways um, of blood flow that can be a very beneficial thing. Which is not to say that exercise is necessarily the most important thing to determine your health outcome, but that eating food and sleep are hugely important and that people tend to overlook that. Well, forgetting all the kind of popular diets out there, when you say eating food, what food? Well, I did say eating foods um, on purpose because, you know, there's a lot of junk that's not really food, and we kind of know that. So, 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 okay, so basically eating stuff that's probably good, and we all know the difference between, let's say, Doritos and an apple. Yeah, so, it's not. I mean, it's not that hard. Right, so so eating food that's Although probably there are a lot good. of wrinkles that are interesting. Like, if you look at apples, you look at the sugar you, glycemic index of different apples, it turns out that, um, you know, we did a nice Freakonomics Radio episode called Food Plus Science Equals Victory, and it was half about cooking, the science of cooking, and half about eating and the science of nutrition. And I have to say that when it comes to the science of nutrition, there are way more questions than there are answers, because the science on that is truthfully not very advanced. But if you just want to look at a really simple example, the glycemic index um, of, let's say, a red delicious apple, which is very, very sweet and was bred for sweetness, and that's kind of the point of the story, and uh, like a, take a wild apple, it's got a little bit tart, you know, w- the red delicious might be 8 to 10 to 20 times more glycemic than the other ones. So there are a lot of choices that are made in the way that we produce food and certainly in the way that we consume, buy, and eat food. Like, let's say people listening, and now I'm kind of scared too. You just scared me with I that latest one. scary. I meant but to what, encourage you, James. But what's what's a good thing, a resource to read, or, or how can I learn what foods seem good might not be good? So my mom never wrote a book. I wish she had. My mom was an amazing lady who I don't talk about very much, but I probably should more. Um, she figured out a lot of stuff about growing food, about processing food, um, about what to add and what not to add and so on. And and the person who was kind of her guru was a woman named Adele Davis who wrote a bunch of books called things like How to Eat Right and Keep Fit and things like that. So if you want to go back like a couple generations – so if you think like the whole organic – back-to-nature movement is brand new. It's not even close to brand new. And someone who was doing it in the, I don't know when Adele Davis was really at her peak. I think of it in the 50s. It might have been before that. But there were people like that who were talking about the the virtues of whole wheat and the virtues of, you know, no added sugar and, and on and on and on. So my mom was a great resource for me when I was a kid, but um, there are a ton of, I think, really great resources about this. Now, one book I read not long ago that I could really recommend that turned up in this episode that we did called Food Plus Science Equals Victory was a book called Eating on the Wild Side, I believe, by Joe Robinson, who is not a scientist. She's a journalist, but she's a good science journalist who looks at a lot of research and distills it to talk about the different kinds of food. In in this case, um, in the case of this book, mostly fruits and veg. Um, But it, it turns out to be a lot of common sense. And there's a lot of economics in it, too. It's like, you know, we, from the outset, humans were attracted to sweet stuff um, for a variety of reasons. And so what food producers have done is typically made food sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. And you get to a and, point— and, and, and just to interrupt, sorry, but uh, 50,000 years ago, from an evolutionary perspective, we loved sweet 
things, but they weren't widely available in the jungle. So now they're much more available artificially, and that's what that's hence the reason for so much obesity. That's exactly right. They're not only much more available, but they're on they're a forced per, on us. They're on a per unit uh, level, much sweeter too. So, like I said, a red delicious apple. If you found a red delicious from fifty years ago. It would be, I don't know, how much less sweet than it is now. A third is sweet, maybe. Maybe a tenth is sweet. I don't, I don't know. But we've bred the stuff to be sweet. I mean, think about everything we eat. Bread, you know, white bread is sweet. You know, there's sugar in some form in so, so many of the foods we eat. I, I think I, remember, I read once, uh, if you want to shop in a healthy way, Stick go, to go the, to the sides. Yeah, stick yeah. to the sides. Don't go, don't go to any of the middle aisles in the supermarket. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Michael Pollan, who's... Uh, a really nice writer and thinker, Michael Pollan, P-O-L-L-A-N, and I'm guessing most people who listen to the show have heard of him. His first big book on food, he, he wrote some really great books before this. this. The first big one on food, I believe, was The Omnivore's Dilemma. Um, but then he's since written a lot about just kind of sensible eating, and it's, it's not that hard. It's really not that hard. So, okay, so eating pretty good and, and mostly using common sense but these books would help yeah, sleeping I say that but I guess if you've been raised in an environment where you don't really think about food much or know much about food at all maybe it's not common sense so I shouldn't presume I think though like everyone knows again the difference between uh twinkie and a vegetable yeah, so let's, twinkies are let's way just say like better. basic common sense right. okay. <laughs> what about quantities on food matter not matter like there's a yeah, whole there's the whole uh movement of uh kind of really restricting Calorie calories restriction. Yeah. yeah yeah so again you know, I keep looking at, there's there's a lot of science on this, and most of it is incomplete and not very longitudinal. They're just not very robust. But yeah, um, if you want to get really fat and unhealthy, you just eat a lot of unhealthy food. It's really, really easy. So food, sleep. Well, yeah, what was the question? The question really was, what did you view as the number one key to health and let's say longer living? And you've done all these, all this economics shows on it. I was curious. So I would I wanna, say... I don't want to get sick ever. I would say, if I had to really say the number one key to longer living, I would suggest something that I don't know how to accomplish, which is try to create a life that has the right amount of healthy stress in it, meaning a relatively high level of healthy, what I call healthy stress, and a relatively very low level of unhealthy stress. I don't know because I sort of feel when I have unhealthy stress that I postpone getting sick because I'm so mm. anxious about other things. I don't know. There's no scientific basis in there this. There might be. I mean, that's what they say adrenaline does. Adrenaline kind of ah. takes up the, you know, it's like, it's like you know, that common phenomenon. Do you remember in college did you encounter this? Uh, before finals, everybody's, you know, just killing themselves. And then the minute finals are over, everybody gets sick. Well, I've noticed that in terms of entrepreneurship, let's say you're building a company, building a company, it's super stressful. It's the most one of the most stressful activities out there. And then when you sell the company, that's when everybody mm-hmm. has a heart attack and dies. Mm. Yeah. So, um, but I think, you know, I personally believe, based not on evidence that I would argue is very robust, what I call healthy stress, meaning a kind of spirit of creativity and maybe entrepreneurialism and maybe competition and maybe the need to accomplish things, maybe being dependent, um, having other people a little reliant or dependent on you, and therefore, you know, you are put in a situation where you need to rise up and accomplish something. I personally believe that that is a huge positive motivating force in life. And let me give a great simple way to do that because 
a lot of these things you mentioned, like being an entrepreneur, you have to really kind of do well at it to avoid the negative stress. I mean, it's hard to necessarily avoid the negative stress. It could go either way. But a safe environment to get the same kind of feelings and emotions going but increase your feeling of well-being and competence is simply getting good at a game. Like you take golf lessons, you're trying to get good at golf, I bet you that gives you this sort of warm glow feeling as opposed to being an entrepreneur, which could go either way yeah, on a, a daily basis. That's a good point. Yeah, I think that anyone... G- game playing is is amazing yeah, for me. It's a, a great point. We play backgammon before these podcasts. It's just, it doesn't matter who wins or loses, we're enjoying oh, getting better at the it game. It matters, it matters. It does matter, but we talk about the game, we try to get better at it. It's a safe way of doing personal improvement. You try to get creative. What's a creative move I can make that Stephen won't notice? What's new ways to learn about the game? So you, 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 it's like learning a language almost, except it's in this competitive environment. Take a moment to listen to this message while we figure out where this answer is headed. I like having memories of special events, but I can't stand having a smartphone full of pictures that I'll probably just delete before transferring them to another hard drive. And photo printers seem like a waste of money. But luckily, now, there's Fracture. Fracture is a photo decor company on a mission to bring your digital images into the physical world by printing them directly on glass. How cool is that? Every glass print has a solid mount pad on the back, so you can hang it right on the wall out of the box. No frames needed. They even include the wall anchor. The inks and colors of your photo really pop, and the frameless mount gives it a sleek, modern aesthetic for all you New York City types. So now I can have fractures on the wall of my home, of my kids, or my dog, Fifi, or maybe my kids and my dog, or maybe of me and James when James is weeping, having just lost at backgammon and with a belly full of discount sushi. So there are many, many instances in which Fracture can make your life immeasurably better. They're great as gifts, awards, or they're just a great way to brighten up your home with the images you love. Fracture glass prints start at just $15 with free shipping on orders over $100. See how Fracture brings your photos to life at fracture.me and be sure to mention that you heard about them from Question of the Day in their one-question survey at checkout. It helps support the show. Final one, sleep. How many hours of sleep do you get per night? I'm a big fan of the seven and a half to eight hours, eight and a half hours of sleep a night during the week, which sounds like a lot, but then I sleep even a little bit more on the weekend. Yeah, I think sleep's huge. Yeah, sleep's definitely huge. I, I can't function on like less than seven and a half. Mm-hmm. I also meditate as much as I can. What? A little bit less lately. You never than, told me that. Yeah, we've talked about that, haven't we? Really? Really, really. Nathan, have we talked about that? Yeah, on the compliment episode, we talked about it a bunch. Oh yeah, yeah I didn't in know. fact, it turns out you know what? Can I tell you something? This is yeah. just a this is um, one of those. What do you call it? Uh, not a recency bias. It's a bias where kind of a confirmation bias. It's like if I buy a Volkswagen and it's my first Volkswagen, you'll see Volkswagens everywhere. Exactly, whatever that is, whatever you call that that effect, right? Do you know I just you got a puppy, and now I you see got a puppy. I did. What kind of puppy? Uh, Chihuahua. Chihuahua. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Those are great dogs. She's really tiny, too. How old is she? Like five pounds, like 12 weeks. Wowzer. Congratulations. Thank you. You're a parent again. I know. I am. I have a child. Mm. Her name's Maggie. Maggie. That's really nice. Maggie Uh, Altucher. So I'm looking forward to Maggie getting together with my dog, Fifi. He's small. Seven pounds. Full grown. That's all she's going to be. So 
Wait, why are we talking? But about now dogs? I see dogs everywhere. Now you see dogs everywhere. <laughs> Whereas before, I never would look at a dog. You never look them. at a dog. Yeah. Now we identified the effect, but I can't remember what I was saying. Uh, the recency effect, bias. Yeah, but why? Uh, uh, exercise, meditation. Oh yeah. So this, I'm sure this is just the Volkswagen puppy effect. We'll call it the Volkswagen puppy. Everyone's effect. a meditator now, to you. Whenever I feel like whenever I'm having a conversation with a particular kind of person, the kind of people that I, you know, kind of admire, smart people doing interesting things, kind of march into their own drummer, all of them meditate. All of every single one. It's gotten to the point where I'll just like, we'll be 15 minutes into a conversation and I'll say, how many times a day do you meditate and what kind? Because you know the answer is some kind, at least once or twice. All right, so meditation also, key to health. I don't know. There's some scientific research that suggests that meditation can do something very similar to what physical exercise can do, which is it's not about the benefit of the moment necessarily. It's about preparing the body, or in this case the mind, to handle a stressful situation with more equanimity. When was the last time you've been to a doctor? Like a general practitioner type of doctor? Uh, I actually went um, just a couple weeks ago for my um, my annual, which I go. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I, I go to doc. I know you're not, you're anti-doctor. Yeah, last time, I'm not necessarily anti-doctor, but the, I'm no, a, I, I'm maybe, I may be more afraid of doctors, but the last time I've been to a doctor was when I was 18. Wow. Not counting like dentists and eye doctors and stuff like that. And you're like doing that. fine. I don't know. For all I know, I'm riddled with cancer and I'm just going to drop dead someday, but so far so good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock on wood. If this you is do, my key to health. If you do, can I have your stuff? I'm going to leave you everything I own, which is one bag with about four shirts Two sweaters, two pairs of pants, some underwear. You can have it all. Uh, oh, and and an iPad. Is is the underwear worn? Totally worn. Yeah. You know, that's the way that's it goes. the nicest. Uh, <laughs> that's the nicest bequeathment uh, ever made, James. You I can put it in it. a trust. Leave it to your kids later. I, I appreciate it. By then, it'll be an antique. It'll be worth something. Yes. Well, I think that's the end of all of our podcast forever. Oh wait, wait. You're saying there's another one? Okay. Well, right after this, we'll hear about it. Thanks again to Fracture for sponsoring today's episode. Fracture wants to bring your digital images into the physical world by printing them directly on glass. Fracture glass prints start at just $15 with free shipping on orders over $100. See how Fracture brings your photos to life at fracture.me. And be sure to mention that you heard about them from Question of the Day in their one-question survey at checkout. It helps support this show. Thanks. On the next question of the day. But in general, for a field like economics, psychology, physics, when people, they're they're broadcasting one-to-many as opposed to -to one-to-one. So what constitutes a real expert there, given that all of these fields, whether it's social science or hard science, are constantly updated and the old stuff is considered old school and, you know, becomes outdated and maybe even wrong. (laughs) 